Amen. Have a seat, but don't relax. Uh, very, very excited to start a uh, three-week sort of story arc of Samson. Uh, Samson is one of the judges. He's in the book of Judges. Someone came up to me last week and said, I didn't know that Samson was in the book of Judges. And I was like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, he is. He is. And uh, here we are. So I, I, think, I think when we think of Samson, we have these pictures in our mind of what Samson looks like. Even just now, when I said Samson, you guys saw something in your mind. Some of you maybe see this. You see the Green Hulk. You know? You see, like, that guy. Some of you see the, the White Hulk. Uh, God, that's funny. That's funny, but but in reality, all through the book of uh, or all, all through the story of Samson, what we see is he's a weak guy who becomes strong because the Holy Spirit comes. So I can make a case that he probably looks more like this, like just no muscles, very weak. Uh, and this is what happens when you call Moab the hillbilly country in Kentucky. Thank you. All right, now that's. That's Rob Sheely. He's actually very strong, very strong, very, very of the spirit. But, but okay, okay, take that up. So, so the idea of that is, the reason I bring that up is God is making the weak strong. You understand that? There's a big difference. That's why we want to talk about surrender. Some of us think we're really strong. We think we're the ones fighting the fight. We think we're the Green Hulk or Hulk Hogan. I know he's the real American hero. I get that. But like... I, I think we can make a case, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. In fact, after like 10 more seconds, I'm not ever going to talk about it again. Is that Samson, I don't know. I don't know that he was this big muscle-bound guy. I don't think that he got his strength from leg day. I think he got his strength from the Lord. And so that's good news because that means we can attain that. Now, you're not going to model your life after Samson. You shouldn't do that. And when you see this three-story arc, three-act arc, you're going to be like, yeah, no, that's bad. So, but, but this particular judge's story is about weak becoming strong. And so I want to get into it with, uh, with today with this sort of question. Do, do you want to be strong? And if it's yes, then you've got to recognize how weak you really are. That, that is how God loves to use us. In our weakness, he likes to use us. And so this is going to be the theme for the final judge that you'll see in the book of Judges. Yeah, this story, it's the end, right? There's, there is four or five chapters after this, but they're kind of a, a tack-on. They're kind of an appendix. And uh, to be just quite honest, I don't know how I'm going to preach those yet. I haven't figured that out because they are awful, awful, awful stories. And, uh, but we'll get to that in about four weeks. So this story, though, it spans four chapters and at this point in the cycle, do you remember the cycle? What were some of the things that the Israelites were doing? They, 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 uh, they cry out for help. They get help. They forget they got help. They forget who they are. They go into bondage. All these sort of things. At this point in the story, we're several hundred years into it now, the cycle has become a permanent way of life. It's just the way they live. And then when we get to this story, it's an incredible story because it's filled with symbolism of how God saves his people. Today, in many ways, is an origin story. It's like, how did, how did Samson become Samson? How did he even come about being a judge? And so if you got your Bible with you, if you got eyes, you can see the screen. But in Judges 13, we see the beginning of the Samson narrative. And it starts with this, a very familiar phrase. And the people of Israel, again, did what? 
what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of who? Philistines. Finally, right? A bad guy we know. For how many years? Forty years. So there's a lot in that little verse there that we have to talk about in order for this to all make sense. So today's a lot of groundwork, but it's going to really pay off over the next two weeks if we do it well. So 40 years is a long time. That's a long time to be hassled by somebody. Who's doing the hassling here? It's the Philistines. For those of you that grew up in church, you've heard the word Philistine before. They're about to take the stage here. They're the perennial Bible bad guy, the Philistines, right? They will reign and hassle Israel all the way into the reign of King Saul and King David. So for a long time, okay, hundreds of more years, they are here to stay. So who are they? Who are the Philistines? They were not Canaanites originally. So they didn't grow up there. They're not, I'm not from here. That's what they would say if they if asked them. They were from the West, which I know some of you are like, is this going to be a historical sermon today? All of the Bible is a historical sermon. And when we understand what was going on, when it went on, it'll, under, it'll help us understand more how we can apply it to our life today. So yes, it is. They were from the West. They were from the Aegean Sea region. Who says, man, I'm glad you told us that. I was so wondering. It's an area of Greece or Crete. They were this. They were a, uh, a seagoing people, which is interesting to me. They were sea warriors. One guy I read called them buccaneers. I'll allow it. I like that. I like buccaneers. Around 1200 BC, so a long time ago, they moved to Egypt and they lost a battle and they moved again. Guess where they moved? Israel. Israel. They settled five cities. This is all important. They settled five cities, and they maintained those relationships for years. They were sea warriors. Now they're getting their foothold on land. The, the cities are still there, by the way. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Gath, Akron. I didn't have those memorized. I got them written down. They were skilled at metal making. They were skilled at that. They could make weapons like the world had never seen. You starting to see why they're, they're bad? They got a lot of power. They were also great farmers. They were great warriors. They were great, I mean, they knew how to do everything except be good neighbors. They were terrible neighbors. When the Philistines moved in, it was bad for you if you were not a Philistine. One such person I read said they were very abusive and mean to the locals. One way that they would take over a town, I'm reading this directly, they would capture the men and mutilate or remove their genitalia while they were living and then torture them, and then impale them. Yeah, so if there's an open house down the road and you see the Philistine family, you're like, they're not going to be good neighbors. They're terrible people. And God said, I'm going to give you over to them for 40 years. That's who's ruling you. The buccaneers who are great at politics and fighting. They settled up the road for 40 years. They represent the enemy of God. At its height. They are stronger than Israel. They outnumber Israel. They're smarter than Israel. They're more political than the Israelites. They are better in every way over the Israelites. The Philistines are terrible enemies. And for 40 years, they whooped up on them. Now, the Israelites have one thing that the Philistines don't have. We got God. And I'll take that. That's a good, that's who you want on your team. 
It just seems like this is exactly the kind of odds that God likes to work with. Let me find you at your weakest, and I'll show you how you can be strong. Do you see that? You see why this historical stuff is important? Because when we get to verse 2, it says there was a certain man of Zorah, not Zoro, of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. We do not know Samson's mother's name. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. That is interesting for a couple reasons. So those of you who have been following along, I'm going to ask you a little quiz here. I hope you get this right. What is missing from this story in Judges that all the other judges we've seen? Crying out for help. Exactly right. Crying out for help. We don't see a great uprising. We don't see a town meeting. We don't see those eight guys that kept their foot on the line. No, we don't see that. We don't see a cry out for help. We also see this other thing. This judge, we know it's Samson, this judge is promised prior to birth. They didn't have to go out into the hill country and get the guy they didn't really like to come in and fight their battle for him. No, no, no. He is not raised up. He is birthed into it. Also, this child is, is promised to a barren woman. Do you know what that means? It means everybody thinks she can't have kids. And the angel of the Lord says, you're going to have a kid. They're at their weakest, and their enemy is at their strongest, and he is sending someone to deliver them. That's incredible to me. Their, their place in that culture, I mean, honestly, it, 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 I think this is kind of true in our culture too, unfortunately, but it was very true in their culture. If you could not have children, it was a stigma. In fact, you were considered cursed. It's a very hard life to live. You tired of this yet? Is this like AP history for some of you? Don't worry, I got some zingers coming. Just, just wait. I told you that at the beginning, this is a picture of how God works. If anything, this is a doctrinal sermon on how God works. How he takes the weak and he makes them strong. Are you ready to hear something that you've heard a hundred times if you've attended this church for more than eight weeks? You ready? God loves you because he loves you. The first time I heard it, I, can't, I couldn't stop saying it. God loves you because he loves you. Look, look at what is going down here. I don't know if you've been tracking. Look at what is going down. God is bringing his salvation to a people that aren't even asking for it. They've just figured out, man, the Philistines, are just, this is just going to be the way it is. God loved them. Uh, they are outmatched at every turn. They cannot, in a fair fight, they cannot beat them. They cannot beat them. They can't do it. Uh, they got nothing that is necessarily distinctive that sets them apart from anybody else. This couple that he's coming to, they would be considered uh, stigmatized or cursed. They have no prospects to save them. Yet God loves them. One guy I read put it this way. God doesn't love the lovely. He makes lovely those he loves. He doesn't save the strong. He makes strong those he saves. He doesn't choose the righteous. He makes righteous those he chooses. It kind of goes back to what we talked about last week. God isn't preparing to meet you halfway. He's meeting you the whole way. And he'll do whatever it takes to show you how much he loves you. What is our role in that? Receive. Receive his grace. 
So I don't know what you came in here with or what you're thinking about right now, but no matter what you are or who you are or what your circumstances are or what you were doing last night till late in the morning, probably not this crowd, that's the next crowd, it's a little later, but whatever it was, God is still pursuing you and he's still chasing you and repentance is no more than one one step away. But that hope will not be found by just turning over a new leaf. Oh, i got to make some changes. You do. But you ain't going to do anything. It is only found in God and his grace because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. His grip on me is tighter than my grip on him. You know that, right? Because of that grip, I have hope. All the Israelites, no matter where they were in the cycle, all of God's people, no matter where you are in the cycle, his grip on you is tighter than your grip on him. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. So this angel of the Lord is talking to them and says, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And then in verse 4, we get a little bit more information. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, You shall conceive and bear a son. He said it twice. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now, we often call that what? The Nazarite vow. But like, he's a baby that's not even born yet. How's he making this vow? You know, he's not in there speaking, is he? I don't know. Maybe he was. I, I don't know how God communicated that, but he told mom, and that was enough. The Nazarite vow is interesting, and we have to talk about it. We have to kind of say, like, what, what, why all those things? Why, this is kind of a strange thing. Don't cut your hair and don't drink and don't touch dead bodies. I mean, Nazarite means dedicate or set apart. So Samson, from prior to birth, was consecrated. He was set apart to serve the Lord. If somebody who would, it would obviously, in the New Testament we see it a couple times, it's somebody that did it voluntarily, and it wasn't typically for life. We see a few times that. This is one of them. But we, how would we describe that in our culture? Well, we're, we're probably not going to take a Nazarite vow, but, but we might consecrate ourselves and fast for a week. That might be a a, a decent parallel. You may say, I'm going to give up something for a week so that I can really focus on the Lord. That might be a way you could do that, except the Nazarite vow would be way, 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 way more intense than that. They they said uh, you would volunteer. So at the beginning, especially if you're an adult, a male, you would shave everything at the beginning of the vow, and then you wouldn't shave again until the end of the vow. So it might be 100 days or a month. In that time period, you would also not drink any wine, not even grape juice, not even near beer, nothing. You would do nothing, okay? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And you wouldn't touch dead bodies because those are unclean. You didn't even go to a funeral in this time period. You said, I am consecrating, I'm setting myself apart, I'm dedicating myself wholly to the Lord, voluntarily to the Lord. In this case, Samson is being told, in the womb, you are being set apart for life. You will be under the Nazarite vow for your entire life. 
At the end of it, we saw this in Acts 21. This was all the kerfuffle that Paul got into. At the end of it, you would bring a a lamb or a sacrifice to the priest. Uh, You would pay the priest for that, and you would burn that on the altar. And then you would shave again and burn your hair on the altar. So that was awesome. And uh, it smelled really terrible, I'm sure. And then your Nazarite vow would be over. Not so for Samson. His is to continue for his whole life. Samson's going to be completely dedicated. Now, this is interesting in his case. Some of you may have some questions around that Nazareth, but why, why no drinking? Why no wine? Outside of the obvious reasons, you know. Here, here's why. It's, it's saying in that vow, in Samson's life, that I will only receive joy from the Lord. I don't want any, I don't want any picture that I'm receiving joy from anything other than God in my life. Why skip the barber shop? Why no shaving? Anybody curious about that? Samson probably had a beard too. You know, he probably was like, I don't know, after a few years, you got to think that was interesting. But in, in one sense, it was saying, yeah, I will bear shame. Now, we don't, we don't think that culturally right now, but then culturally, long hair like that, especially in 1 Corinthians, you see a lot of that there. It was bearing shame. It's not a sin to have long hair. They're just saying, we're showing a picture of, look at this, I'm unkempt, I'm unkempt. Third thing, why, why no touching dead bodies? Because it's, it's weird, right? Why would you want to do that? No, there was, it was because it was unclean. It was unclean. You say, why, why, Pastor? Why are you going into all this background? Why are you telling us all of these things? Because Samson is going to absolutely blow every single one of these. Every single one. He's going to drink. He's going to touch dead bodies. He's going to cut his hair. He's going to do all the things God said don't do regularly. He's going to take his Nazarite vow, and he's going to pick and choose which parts and when he wants to follow them. And i got to think, some of us maybe aren't living under a Nazarite vow by the look of the beards in the room, but some of us are under uh, control of God. We've completely surrendered to God, but yet we still live a life where we just kind of pick and choose the parts we want to do. I'm going to surrender this part, but not that part. And so it even goes on, it says, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Really interesting, it says, he shall what? Begin. He shall begin? He's going to take a Nazarite vow and begin? Wait, 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 the other judges took him out. Oh, we're past that. He's only going to begin. Well, I want a nice, tidy ending. I want... You know, like a Hallmark movie. I want a kiss at the end and the credits. And then the other movie starts. That's what I want, right? No, no, no. This, this is the last story of Judges, and the book ends with Samson beginning something that will not be finished until Jesus shows up. So if you want a conclusion to the book of Judges, read the New Testament. That's the final judge. That's the final Savior that comes and finishes what we thought we could do. They come and finish what we couldn't do. Okay, back to Samson. Jesus is the one, right? Back to Samson. His, his mom, the angel of the Lord is speaking to him. And I'm going to kind of rush up and then you'll meet me at verse 8. Because uh, she, she listens to the angel. She, she goes and runs to her husband and tells him everything that we just read, right? Hey, an angel of the Lord just came. I didn't catch his name. He's really awesome though. She says that. And he said we're going to have a baby. And so in verse 8, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah in verse 9, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But 
Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Seems like a theme here, doesn't it? Not appearing to that guy. I keep appearing to you. Verse 10, so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And I guess the angel of the Lord waited. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Which is crazy, right? Like, are you the, are you, is it a different angel? Is it maybe a different? And he said, I am, which is real important. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? Hey, real quick, do you ever do that to God? Do you see what he's doing? Give me all the details. Give me all the information. I need all of it. God speaks to me, and what do I want? Uh, I got some questions. I got some questions. Give me the details. Give me more information. Show me what to do. And what the Lord does next is so typical of how he responds to people in the Bible and has been responding to me my whole entire life. In fact, if, if you're, this is so important, if you're going to make it in this faith, if you say you're a Jesus follower and you have like the eye on the prize, Jesus, I want to follow him the rest of my life and through all of eternity, then you have got to figure this part out right now. Because if you don't, you won't make it. You just, you'll, you'll be miserable. You will be. Because this is pretty much how God operates 100% of the time. It goes like this. You ready? This is what we're seeing. I'm trying to slow this down for us. It's so important. I'm just showing it to you, right? Here's what happens. God speaks. That's the initiate. God initiates words. We believe here that God speaks, okay? If you don't believe that, give me a minute with you and I'll show you. We believe we can hear from God. We believe we can pray through his scripture and he will speak to us. He can speak to us however he wants to speak to us, but he is the one initiating it. He initiates, he speaks. What do we do? We hear, we listen. And then what do we sometimes do? We start talking and asking questions. Nothing wrong with asking questions. But we've kind of grown up in a Western culture where when we're giving information or given something that needs details, what do we immediately want to find out? What did you learn in English in middle school? Who, what, when, where? That makes a good paper, doesn't it? Not in the Bible, it doesn't. I want to know. Let's close some loops. Let's tie up some bows. I want to know how this is going to end. Before I do it, I want to know how it ends. And the details often get us tripped up. And God often answers you as if you aren't speaking at all. God interrupts your questions and he gives you something greater than explanation. He gives you revelation. And some of us get so tripped up with wanting explanation that you totally miss revelation. And I don't mean the last book in the Bible. That is revelation. I'm talking for you. I'm talking, God is revealing something to you, but we're so busy saying who, what, when, where, how. And he's like, be quiet. Be quiet. You ready for something that will change your life right here in the middle of the Samson origin story? If you can get this, oh man, oh man, oh man. If, if you require all those whys and whats, you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. Because many of us, we, we require, we've kind of set up a personal rule for ourselves. Like, I require detailed explanation as to why things happened the way they did and why and how will they happen. Do you ever just have a bunch of questions for God? God, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? 
Do you think you would be fulfilled if he told you? Do you think you have the capability to understand all of time? I don't think I do. He, he gives us something better than explanation. He gives us himself. He gives us revelation. I mean, he just told them, you're barren and you're going to have a baby and it's going to be set apart to the Lord. Well, what should we feed him? What's his life going to be like? Do we have to get a gym membership or will he naturally be strong? You know, I don't know. I don't I didn't even tell him that part yet. You know, we haven't even got to that part yet. But God is constantly in your life. He is revealing himself to you. And we get so bogged down with how am I going to do that? How are you going to do that? And I think we have a memory problem a lot like the Israelites. Has he ever let you down? Has he ever broken a promise? Do you think if he told you he's going to do something that he knows how to handle that? We want explanation, and God gives us revelation. And so just like our conversation sometimes, the angel of the Lord immediately goes in on verse 13 and says, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded, let her observe. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. Hey, why don't you stay and let's eat. Let's eat. Probably got more questions. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. Mm. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is, what, what was his name? Wonderful. I don't know if you're tracking with me here. Do you see how revelation is better than explanation? How are we going to do this? What's the mission going to be like? How should we raise him? And he gives him himself. What is your name? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Let me slow this down again. I had to when I read this the first time. When I studied this, I was like, this is all happening so fast. How do I slow this down and really understand it? And for those of you who have been to our foundation, something really incredible happened to me the day that I prayed through this. This is going to sound a little <whistles> for some of you. But I felt like I was there. I was telling Pastor John about this. He's like, hey, is this normal? He's like, no, it's not normal, but it's good. I was like, okay. I don't know if that's good, though. <laughs> I'm not saying I got transported to this time period and sat there, but God, like, it was like I was not watching a movie, but I was part of this. And God, as he revealed himself to these people, I saw what he meant. Just from praying through scripture, just from listening to God. He said his name is wonderful. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. They're, they're talking to Jesus. Now I knew it doctrinally, theologically. I've been to seminary. You know, I know all the Christophanies. But I'm like, oh my goodness. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus speaks. And he was speaking to me just like he can speak to you through an Old Testament origin story of a strong guy who blew it. He told him his name. 
He asked a thousand questions and he said, I'm going to answer one question. What is it? This is who I am. It's wonderful. His name is wonderful. That name should ring a little bell in your mind. Where have I heard this before? Isaiah 9. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. There will be no end upon the throne of David to order an establishment. And that is who is standing there saying, this judge is going to be in your belly and he will be set apart. And if you want to know who I am, I am wonderful. I am Jesus. And if you want to know who finishes all these judges' stories that mankind keeps blowing, it's wonderful. And his, his kingdom will never know an end. And he doesn't wait to see who gets elected for this and that and who's on this position and when they're going to fix the potholes. No, 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 no. He is much bigger deal than that. His throne will never end. So I don't know. Like maybe, maybe, maybe I'm glad. I'm, I'm super glad I got questions. But here's what I know. God loves me and he loves my questions. But most of the time he just wants to give me himself. There's lots that I don't understand. You guys got misunderstandings? You got stuff? You're like, man, I can't wait just to get to heaven and ask. Maybe get some straight talk, you know? I got lots of questions, starting with Genesis 1 up to this morning, you know? Like, why is that that way? Here's one. I don't really understand why Jesus died for me on the cross. You're like, I feel like you should know that one. No, I don't. I get it. I, I can write a paper on it. I know all the right answers. I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he did all those things. I know that he did all those things. But in my finite ability to understand grace, I don't know why he did that. You know, he didn't have to do that. But I believe that he did. And I believe that when I say, Jesus, why did you do that? He's not like, well, let me explain it to you. Let me show you. Turn in your book. Let's look at your journal. Let me, no, no, no. He says, I am wonderful. Do you believe? Even the disciples, the apostles that walked on water with him, they didn't understand it until they saw an empty tomb. So I got questions. I got lots of questions. And I, and I know the right answers. Here's what I know. When I was a rebel and I was running from God and I was not walking with him, I know that I know that I know he gave me a second chance. And he saved me. It's like the blind guy. Remember when Jesus healed the blind guy and they were like, hey, is he Lord? And the guy, what, remember his answer? Is that Jesus? And he was like, listen, I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. I don't know why he did what he did. All I know is what? I couldn't see and now I can see. And I feel like that's all I got to understand. I don't know why he died for me. I don't know why up in heaven they came up with this awesome plan to take all of my sin and put it on perfection and take all his perfection and put it on me. I don't know why they did, but what I do know is I was dead and now I'm alive. That I know. And that's better than getting all my who, what, when, where, why, how, why'd you do that, when is that going to work out, why. I don't need it explained to me. I need God to reveal it to me. Why? Because his name is wonderful. And so in verse 19, they, they caught on. Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. Now, oh, now we know. To the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar with it. Woo, that's good, man. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces. you got to see this, okay? They fell on their faces to the ground. Here's how I know God loves me, because he showed me this. The angel of the Lord appeared 
no more. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, you know, because they were laying on the ground. and You know that was through muffled voices. Is he gone, you know? But his wife, who is clearly the voice of wisdom in the relationship. Hey, side note, you're going to see a lot of these traits from the father and the son in Samson. Reacts, emotional, doesn't totally want to think it through. (laughs) The wife wisely says, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands. Basically, she's saying, if he wanted to kill us, he'd already killed us. If that was going to happen, it would have already happened. Manoah, okay? <laughs> He's still on the ground looking around. <laughs> and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. She nails it. I believe she's been to our foundations class. I believe she understands the promises of the Lord. I believe she's hearing. I believe she's uh, believing. And I believe she is immediately obeying. I mean, we, we don't even know her name. We don't even know her name, yet we know that she understood who God is. And, and I'll tell you, I'll take revelation. I'll take revelation of who God is over answers to all my questions. You guys with me on this? Give, give me an ounce of you. Give me an ounce of you over a billion pounds of what I think I need. Here's what I mean. You either, you got choices in life, right? You either believe Jesus and everything he says, or you don't. I don't see a third option. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see that. I, I see this. There is no negotiation. God loves me because he loves me. He loves you because he loves you. You don't negotiate that. What would you even negotiate with? Like, you got to have some leverage. You got none. You got none. That's the picture we're seeing here. Israel's at their lowest. They're not even crying out for help anymore. And he's saying, I'm going to send someone like you've never seen. Oh, we think it's Samson, it's Jesus. You know that, right? I'm going to send someone like you've never seen. He's wonderful. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. That, by the way, is the source of Samson's power. If you like to underline things, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's, let's bring the train into the station here on Act 1, okay? Samson, from the beginning, is pointing beyond judges. Uh, let me read this thing I read. Samson is the last judge in the book, the last great hope for Israel. We wait to see how he will rescue and rule God's people in obedience, and in almost every way, we will find ourselves disappointed because we need Jesus. He points us to another. You remember back in uh, chapter 13, we're in there now, verse 5, it says, He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Jesus completes what Samson begins. Now, I don't know where you are, but do you need Jesus to complete something that you began? Are some of you still fighting with God? You still think that you're strong enough to do it. Have you been asking for explanation and God is trying to give you himself? Well, I need more information. 
And quite honestly, I don't, I don't have three takeaways for you today. I don't have a, here is how you can live like Samson. Honestly, that'd be awful. That'd be awful takeaways. Here's the takeaway. Don't live like him. Don't do that. He said, but he's one of the judges, man. He was chosen by God, set apart. That's right. But what this book, what judges in a whole, the whole broken series, what it should drive you to is to not be more like them, but it should drive you to surrender. It should drive you to slow down and worship, to realize who is fighting your fight. So my desire for you today isn't this, leaving knowing more about the Philistine culture. I think that's important, but it's not as important as this. It isn't to leave knowing more about Samson and why he grew his hair out. It's not that. It's to drive us to a holy God who pursues us at our lowest and says, I love you. And I will finish what all y'all tried to do with my son, Jesus. So let's take a moment. Let's slow this down one more time. Let's close our eyes. And let's give an opportunity for God to speak and for us to worship. In worship is where we have those realizations. In worship is where you have those moments of, oh my goodness, I was speaking to God. Let's give some opportunity too for someone if Today's the day to come into the family of God. Maybe today you heard this and you, you're more of a Philistine. <laughs> you're living pretty wild. But here's the great news. God loved the Philistines too. And he loves you. The Bible says if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, how? I don't know. But I know I was dead and now I'm alive. And I know how you can do it too. You pray to Jesus. You say, dear Jesus, I believe. I believe it. The Bible says his son Jesus, Jesus, wonderful, mighty counselor, came and died for you. Fought the fight that you couldn't fight and won many of us that God has brought here for this moment, maybe in the room, maybe online, maybe all around the world. People watch this from all over the world. Can you believe that? In this moment, you know that you know that you know. I need to turn my life towards a holy God, Jesus. And here's what you do. You say, dear Jesus, you talk right to him. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. It means I've made mistakes. I've rebelled against you. I know it. But I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you were buried in a tomb for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. Today I receive you into my heart. I ask forgiveness. And I receive forgiveness for my sins. Today you're my Savior. You're my Lord. And I will follow you from this day forward. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen.